Der deutsche Spargelkult müsse enden. Germany's beleaguered defense minister has temporarily dropped his PhD. Volkswagen ist eine Perle der deutschen Industrie. Und ich glaube, das kann man nicht sagen. Ich weiß, wie viel Liebe dahinter steckt. Wenn Glühweinstände aufgebaut werden, wenn Waffen. Spargelweltmeister ist China, denn die bauen sich. Hi, it's Michelle. Hi, it's Isaac. Hey, this is Ted, and welcome to Spaßbremse. We're joined here by a very special guest. It is Dave Brannick, a journalist based here in Berlin. Hey, thanks for having me. We're talking about something, well, it's sort of a, a long-awaited topic, actually. We've been doing this for, what, almost a little over a year, and we haven't talked about one of the most sort of German-associated things you could imagine, Fußball. Some heavy critique for not covering this topic sooner. Yes, and I, so. not the not the thing you play on the table in the U.S. Like uh, the German word for soccer, soccer or or football. If you're if you are a non-American who finds people who say soccer extremely grating, we'll probably switch back and forth between them. Fußball, 11 football, eleven v eleven, two goals. We're talking um. about the yeah. We're talking about the Bad thing. Sport. Can't touch your can't can't use your hands. Not not the American variety. Not the. Gaelic variety, not the. What else we got? Aussie. Mm-hmm. I think that's about it. Is that the? Are those the, 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 the? None of that. None of that. Talking, die Mannschaft and the Bundesliga and all that. And we thought this would be a great time to discuss it because we've got the World Cup, the Weltmeisterschaft, coming up on November twentieth in Qatar, with the the very bizarre uh, Winter World Cup with all this uh, scandalous bidding process for that but that's that maybe is another topic slightly although maybe we can touch on that mm. um yeah so it's an important topic one because germans are obviously obsessed with this sport and also because it is very wrapped up in domestic culture wars sort of german national identity regional rivalries and international competition too of course so you know as with everything we'll talk about the topic a bit but then Relate it to some of the less savory aspects of German culture and politics. Before we, I guess, get into some of like the nitty gritty of German football, uh, like I'm not all that familiar with football uh, or soccer, so I just wanted to ask or like start with the question: you know, why people on the left should be interested in soccer? Why should people sort of care about the the politics of, of football? Right, because you do have like a brand of person that's like on the left who's like very anti sports yeah, and sort of yeah. sees it as like a opiate of the masses type thing sports ball how lame yeah yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i think uh, so first of all uh, in my book which uh probably isn't that important but still for me i think a good leftist should be an internationalist to some degree you're you're on the show it's your book well okay (laughs) then uh please take this as gospel but i think that uh any good leftist is at least vaguely interested in internationalism Uh, And there is no bigger international sport than football. And it's also probably because of that and because it's the most accessible sport in the world, uh, one of the most politicized sports in the world. Plus, also, you know, if you want to be an internationalist, you have to actually talk to people from different places. And it's a key to small talk anywhere, you know, and it'll teach you geography, know where these clubs (laughs) are. You can read a map, make some friends, whatever. Yeah. Brings people together. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah, I've never, I've never been a big subscriber to the the weird anti sports ideology. But mm. what, 
I mean, maybe you answered it a bit in that question, but what sort of drew you personally to the sport? Because it isn't it isn't sort of the natural sport you'd you'd gravitate to as uh, an American male necessarily. Like, there's a lot mm. of there's probably three or four others that would sort of pull you in that direction before <laughs> soccer. Yeah, I mean, soccer is definitely slowly but surely working its way up uh, and crowding out that big yeah, four of American sports definitely. or whatever. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I wasn't purely interested in European soccer when I first got into it in the mid-2000s. I was really, really nerdy uh, and was a season ticket holder at my major league soccer team, uh, which is now called the New York Red Bulls, unfortunately. Uh, shout out to... Uh, okay, not a corporate name, but a very dumb name. The New York, New Jersey Metro Stars, the most vague 90 meaningless uh branding group that was actually i think came up with by by nike so again you know and and had its own weird branding tie-ins but either way you know not not a very cool thing to be in a giant stadium the nfl stadium uh that had you know eighty thousand seat capacity and be amongst the nine thousand people singing or whatever but from the first game i went to and and that's why i'm even more interested in the european and latin american um angle of things it was the only sport i went to where it felt like fans had an actual influence on the game uh, even if you're a bunch of dorks uh, in new york or whatever you still sing the whole game it's much more participatory and it feels like a bit more meaningful than just going and then every once in a while you know jock jam style you're told to clap or make some noise or whatever um, and then i slowly learned more about it saw the politics side of it as well so yeah, that, that has to be like the biggest sort of shift, I think, like like aside from from anything specific about the sport is just that Europeans hate about watching American sports. And I think a lot of Americans find off putting about watching soccer is like you have to just like it just happens all at you once. You can't like keep going like, to like get a beer yeah. or go to the bathroom consistently <laughs> through this, which which is is like definitely nice. But um, and yeah, cracks down on these sort of like either if you're watching on the TV, like uh, just insane amounts of ads or when you're in the stadium, these like very contrived, like pump up things, like every like three or four minutes, it feels like there's some like dumb, like, you know, I don't know, the kiss cam or the like the, the boat, stretch, the little, the, the race, race, the race. Of the, yeah. Yeah. They're like, we're just like such a, <laughs> such a baby culture that they have to just like put little like new toys in front of your face constantly. Yeah. I think my, is the New England Revolution? Is that? Yeah, that was, That's I've been so to a cheesy. Couple oh. <laughs> revolution. Yeah. Uh, what do you hate the, America? What yeah. do you mean it's cheesy? <laughs> well, like I said, you know, one of the reasons we're doing this now is we've got the World Cup coming up. Uh, Germany obviously been very successful um, in the past, not the extremely recent past, but having won four times uh, in 54, 74, 1990, and as recently as 2014. They've come off a pretty rough last couple tournaments, the the 2018 World Cup and the 2020 Euros played in 2021, but they they did pretty badly in both. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, just sports chat. Who you got this year? How's How are the Germans looking? Uh, I can't tell you who I got this year uh, or, or, you know, while we're talking about the New England Revolution, it would, who would I be if I didn't say the United States of America will win the World Cup? That's my money on it. <laughs> Definitely really going to happen. And if not them, we'll stick to North America. Canada's got this. Um, But I think part of it, especially more recently, so, you know, coming out of 2018, they they had a long period of having uh, their coach, Yogi Löw, who who is maybe famous enough to some listeners who don't even love 
sports to know him as the guy who scratched his balls and snipped his hand a couple times. Uh, so a weird guy, but that's the only reason uh, people would know Germany's coach outside of knowing soccer. But he had won the World Cup, but kind of was was around too long. So he won in 2014. Uh, and they've been trying to recover since then, kind of. Um, and I think their their new coach, Hansi Flick, uh, is quite good. So they're they're on a poor run of form sort of recently, but they've only lost once, I think, in the 15 games since he's been there. Uh, and Germany... Uh, typically before tournaments are kind of mediocre and then they turn on their inner robot and just smash their competition. So I wouldn't be too surprised if they, they do well this time. And as far as the whole tournament goes, I've got no idea. I stopped trying to predict things uh, once Brexit happened and Trump won. I just don't ever <laughs> call things before they, they happen. And I think especially since COVID, soccer has been almost impossible to predict. It's super chaotic uh, they've just had a nonstop slog of games for two and a half years, basically, with no break. Uh, as you mentioned, a Winter World Cup, that's right in the middle of the season. There are going to be a lot of injuries, um, probably occasionally players getting COVID and stuff. So hard to know what will happen. Uh, so, you know, could be could be anybody, I guess. I'm just glad Qatar was such a, like, it was just the overwhelmingly, like, natural good choice based on merit though so they just had to do it in the winter like it was just- i keep seeing like tweet after tweet being like oh now they're going to require attendees to have the security app on their phone and like oh now as if it couldn't get worse yeah the the i mean obviously uh, in a world cup where reportedly you know around six thousand migrant workers have died in connection to building out the infrastructure for the world cup you, you know, it's hard to complain too much about data security or whatever, but right. literally every single thing that comes up about it gets worse and worse, is more and more depressing. Um, and I think the worst thing, because uh, especially in Germany, a lot of fans and, and even the media have been pretty critical of the World Cup being held in Qatar and the process by which that happened. But I think the second a ball is kicked and the tournament starts, everyone will pretty much forget. And is go anyone boycotting it? Like, is there any real attempt to... Just like fans um, not watching it uh, in Paris and and I think a couple other big cities, they've made it clear they're not going to have outdoor like big TVs set up to watch it. So I think you'll see stuff like that. But as far as sponsors, teams, players, whatever, anyone that maybe would be able to make a difference, that conversation probably happened too late and it's it's yeah. long, long Balls gone. Are. It's also not like the bravest yeah. choice to not have outdoor viewing and like November Paris in November and December like it's not like like uh, I wonder if they would have made that decision if it was like in July you know it right. it's just a relatively like low head low, low cost thing to to be like yeah we're taking this principled stand it's like it's gonna be raining yeah. anyway you know yeah but it is I mean even if you don't like soccer the best part of being in Germany during those tournaments is you know Spades will get their TVs out and stuff it's like make sun it's like it's very. Yeah. I fun, do but, love that when yeah. you're like, "Oh, this is clearly the one Spati where every like Spain fan is gathering in this at this moment, and they've all agreed on like this exact corner and are getting rowdy." Yeah, it's and in nice. <laughs> winter with COVID numbers probably going up, who knows what the it it just won't. I can't imagine it'll feel remotely similar to ones in the past, but I don't know. Yeah, the, the Euros were fun. I had a good time, loudly, drunkenly making fun of all the British people I know at the at the open at the 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 open watch party there I almost said public viewing like the Germans say (laughs) I like public viewing 
Yeah, I guess we started off talking a little bit about internationalism being the reason to pay attention to soccer. And with that, I'm going to pivot a bit more to nationalism with mm. this question. Um, back in 2018, there was, of course, the quite notable storyline of uh, Uzel. And I think there was also another player. I remember seeing them on the cover of Tots labeled like Erdogan's Jungs. Uh, probably Ilkay Gundogan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, Uzel, obviously, or not obviously, maybe for some of the listeners who have no um, ties to German soccer, but is a German player of Turkish descent. And he famously said, quote, I am German when we win, but I am an immigrant when we lose. And so it's easy to be like sympathetic with that statement and like see where he's coming from with that. But yeah, as a fan, as Uzel being a fan of Erdogan and like, yeah, people critiqued that. Yeah. I mean, pretty, pretty sticky situation, I think, which maybe says a lot about broader issues in Germany with sort of dealing with what it means to be German and a multicultural society and, and specifically how Turkish politics falls into that. Sort of. Uh, so I guess for, for context, um, Erdogan in 2018, shortly before the 2018 World Cup, uh, was campaigning uh, for his totally free and fair re-election um, and took a, a photograph with two German players of Turkish descent. One, Ilkay Gundogan, kind of uh, in some social media post or however, sort of explained it away and said why he took the photo and sort of apologized. Özil, uh, who at the time was really one of the star players of the German national team, um, didn't really talk about it publicly at all. And there was sort of a mini, uh, another somewhat Germanism shitstorm going on yes. around that. Um, yeah. And it picked up again a lot where he was constantly being attacked, you know, from, from publications like Tots, but also really, really harshly uh, from the right and from the far right, um, where it was finally an excuse to just kind of shit on the brown player for the German national team and, and them sort of feeling uncomfortable with that. And, you know, we told you this this would happen or whatever. Uh, and especially as Germany played really poorly uh, and got knocked out of the tournament, yeah. he then became sort of a scapegoat. Oh, this distraction and he didn't really care or whatever became a big thing. And he retired from the national team. And that's when he made that point. You know, when when we win, I'm German. When we lose, I'm an immigrant. Um, he also played like trash in that tournament. Oh, for sure. But the whole team did. Uh, so, you know, yeah, to to the backer or to defend anyone who was pooping on him for purely sporting reasons, that's totally fair because he wasn't great during the tournament. Uh, but it unleashed sort of this broader discussion about who exactly counts as being German, where do they fit into the national team. And, and obviously, I, I wouldn't condone anyone uh, taking a photograph with Erdogan. And you have to be smart enough to know that there'll be backlash and you're being used. Uh, and he seems to have some kind of relationship to Erdogan. This isn't the first time uh, they were photographed together or, or whatever. Uh, but it all does feel slightly rich uh, happening around a tournament being held in Russia, uh, which was like Vladimir Putin's crowning sporting achievement uh, following the Sochi Olympics. Yeah, I meant to say when we were talking about how people will forget about all the human rights abuses in Qatar, like it, we sort of have a model for that in Russia, right? Yeah. Where like Russia had already, they had already invaded, you know, parts of Ukraine. And like it was clear this is a right wing 
you know, authoritarian country. But then I remember just absolutely fawning coverage of Russia and be like, the fans are great. Like the, the hospitality is wonderful. And they just like, they just kept going on and on and on about how great like the Russian stadium is and like mm. the experience. And it's like, yeah, maybe that, that probably was true for the fans, but it's like, you don't see what sort of went on behind the scenes to make mm. that experience happen. And like, just not saying anything about like, oh, maybe this is a bit of a problem. Like, you know, how are these, how are these built? Like, what's this country up to mm. where this is being hosted? Yeah. So, um, and again, there had been sort of crit- critical reporting, dissenting voices beforehand, but those largely dropped off as the tournament was played. Uh, and that's obviously not to be like, well, uh, this bad guy uh, benefited from this and there were no repercussions or whatever. I think specifically in the case of Uzil, the sort of veracity and speed with which so many people turned against him yeah. uh, and sort of the the centrist media had very similar lines to what literal members of the AFD were saying was pretty alarming uh, and also kind of funnily and I think typical of how you know, accusations of racism work in Germany. You know, he quit because of racism and then they interview the coach and two white dudes on the team and they're like, well, we never noticed any racism in the team. How could that be possible? Uh, So, you know, not even a willingness to sort of engage with it seriously. I mean, it just seems like it was like really bubbling below the surface and take to take just this tiny incident Mm -hmm. and then like blow up. (laughs) For sure. Well, it's it's like the kind of scandal that's the like perfect type of thing for the German right where they can criticize immigrants on the basis of them like not supporting like liberal values or something so like even though they're right wingers like say I don't know the, that scandal I think it was Cologne in, in New Year's like several years ago where it seemed like uh, people uh, like Im- Im- it looks like immigrants like were like groping women or you know mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. exactly how the claims turned out with that but anything where it's like oh the immigrants like don't respect women the way like Germans do and then they can sort of like outflank them to like do Islamophobia but like try to make it seem like they're doing it from a left or liberal perspective mm-hmm. even though it's like these are going to be the biggest misogynists in the world right and like they're they're happy with other right-wing authoritarian figures it's just like Oh, he, you know, he's he's cozy with Erdogan. Let's like let's get him from this flank so we don't seem Islamophobic. But that's what it is, for sure. I mean, similarly, uh, Gauland in 2016, uh, Alexander Gauland of the AfD, uh, you know, around the the Euros in that summer, said, you know, Jerome Boateng, who is a, a black player, um, half Ghanaian, and has his own problems. Actually, he was recently me tooed, but. That happened after the fact has nothing to do with this. Um, but Gallon said, you know, he he's a great player, but I wouldn't want him as my neighbor, and many Germans Ooh. also wouldn't. And there was no pretext of defending liberal institutions or democracy there. Uh, it was just kind of openly like, hey, you know, you might be good at this sport, and at most, uh, I'll support you the way a racist might, like Michael Jordan or whatever. Uh, but you don't get any more than that. So pretty pretty open at times. How would this like how does this sort of tie into history of like racism and nationalism like sort of more broadly in in German football? Like I was listening to this um, Know Your Enemy episode recently about baseball and mm. uh, the guest uh, guest there, David Roth, made this point, you know, also uh, played you know really extensively by by um, immigrants in the U.S., and he was sort of saying, like, baseball is, like, the process through which, like, you, you become American, sort of, when, like, when you immigrate. And I think, I think it's probably fair to say that, that uh, football has a similar kind of stature in Germany. And so, like, yeah, how, like, in terms of German national identity and assimilation, 
just just any sort of other thoughts about this because obviously like you know these two players this is not like the only time that race and identity mm-hmm. has come up in in german football yeah for sure i mean i think maybe there are two elements to it one is german identity and german nationalism uh or or even german patriotism uh which up until relatively recently wasn't much of a thing and i think sort of you know political or it was taboo or it was uh, taboo you know yeah. um you knew if a german flag was waving that was a bad sign yeah um and that changed pretty clearly in 2006 when germany hosted the men's world cup the summer mansion as they call it the summer fairy tale which, you know, depending on who you talk to, was a mass psychic relief where suddenly Germans could get rid of their hangups and wave their flags and it wasn't that threatening or whatever. Um, and for most soccer fans, that's totally true. You know, like any other country, you can paint your face or whatever and, and do your thing. But it also sort of eked in a level of comfort around sort of mass displays of patriotism and national identity that Germany had seen as taboo before that. Um, and and that's sort of carried on to this day. And, and for that reason, I think German fans, and, you know, I'm not different than a lot of things of politics in Germany, uh, definitely have the weirdest hangups, or you'll meet Germans who are sort of on the left and politically engaged who like club football and will actively root against Germany or whatever, the, the good old anti-Deutsche football <laughs> fans who, who won't engage with it. And to be fair, you know, I've been to a lot of U.S. games, and it does feel a little weird rooting for the U.S., against like Honduras or whatever I'm just like I don't know about this Uh, so I get it but there there's definitely an odd element um, just from the sort of straight up German side so they'll root for club teams but not for the national team exactly so you could you know be a Dortmund fan or whatever but have no interest in the World Cup which amongst especially be an an ultra for Israel be be an Israel ultra I mean locally don't think globally <laughs> yeah, or something exactly. like that <laughs> something like that i haven't seen the sticker around but i'm yeah. sure it exists um yeah or you know if israel were, were better and would make the world cup maybe so the next men's world cup will be expanded to uh 48 teams so maybe they they will finally be able to be israeli ultras um and support support the one true national team i'm looking forward to that discourse um but yeah it's pretty common to to like a club team and not really care about international football but but german anti-deutsche and just sort of people on the left will actively root for whoever's playing against germany which i think is kind of funny where we haven't done like a whole episode on anti-deutsche i I think most people know who they are but like the reason we keep mentioning israel is because they'll like this like weird form of german leftist that's like like literally the name is anti-german but like they include as part of that like extreme support of israel so that hence the jokes i mean i but to talk about sort of diversity and and what it means to be German, um, I think you do see that as well, where there's, and, and unfortunately, similarly to baseball, similarly to, to sports uh, or, or entertainment in the United States and, and probably elsewhere, there's a lot better representation uh, on a football pitch than there are in, you know, in government or in the media or whatever. Um, and I think now we're sort of dealing with that. We talk about Ozil, we, we talk about you know, conversations around Boateng, whatever made from from Galland or, or the far right reacting poorly to a sort of more diverse Germany and therefore a more diverse German uh, national football team or at least men's team. The women's team is, is not diverse at all, really. 
But I think that is, has been a kind of clear means through which people see, you know, what it means to be German being a bit different. Um, but I also am a little hesitant to put too much stock into that. A lot of people really talk about that a lot and will go so far as to say, well, the reason France won their last World Cup in 2018 is because they've embraced diversity and, right. and they have this multicultural team. And then, well, they played Croatia in the final. What if all white sometimes, you know, some of their players are tied to nationalist movements. What if they won? Uh, so you can't put too much into this, but definitely the way the national team looks and football itself being a, a relatively solid cross-section um, of society uh, amongst its fans yeah. has has shown changes in Germany in the last 20, 30 years for sure. So it's more reflecting rather than... You can't like hold up any player and be like, wow, look, success, integration. I mean, you can. <laughs> they did that with Ozil until they yeah. tore him down. Um, right. So again, I think it's their representation. I'm not going to sit here uh, and say it doesn't matter at all. Um, but I think it's proven, you know, both here and in France and, and anywhere that maybe have representative sports teams or whatever. That's not going to stop the rise of a far right or, right. or broadly yeah. change politics. Yeah, it, it seems like like you said, representation obviously is important in some contexts, but like it can also be used to sort of like whitewash problems, right? You can just be like, oh, look, this is, this is modern Germany or like modern France or whatever. And then have all, and it's like, okay, but like you said, who's in parliament, who's in, you know, running companies, who's mm -hmm. just has a broad measure of, you know, who's material poor? comfort. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and you've sort of, you've referenced a few times now this kind of like, radicalism among sort of like some of the fans of, of football teams and mm. um and i think sort of one question that i have is like you know what is it about is there something about football in particular that seems to be such a breeding ground for sort of this like radicalism you know like i, I read in some of the articles that you sent us before before recording this that like you know the npd like the far right um like neo-nazi german party has been recruiting in like some sort of ultra groups and there's like plenty of examples of like you know clashes between far right and far left fans yeah um do people know what ultras are I don't. Well, I didn't know before I read because these articles, I, so maybe you can just like yeah, just first maybe. define what like an ultra <laughs> or is. Like yeah. yeah. So strap in everybody. There's going to be a glossary section. Now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> what everybody lives and dies for, I, I'd imagine. Uh, but, I have no grasp of like what our our listenership is like. Yeah, whether whether yeah. they're sports fans, whether they're like sports fans or not, like. Yeah, we don't we don't get stats on that. Like, yeah. So I don't know if we're I don't know if we're like over explaining things or people are like. I think we can explain what. I think we can say what. An yeah, I feel like I'm not even using the term correctly. <laughs> no, you, you definitely you were. I mean, and I think it's important because even people who you know write about football or or are involved with it sort of conflate ultras and hooligans and stuff, and and it's not as. Oh, see, as, I thought they were synonymous. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but that's extremely common. Okay. So basically, a hooligan is a fan, uh, and and often they're organized in groups together. Sometimes they're they're not that organized. Uh, that is more interested, uh, or at least equally interested, in fighting other fans okay. than the game itself. Uh, and that often means, um, you know, organizing fights uh, outside of matches. It's been harder and harder to actually fight at games, although there has been a sort of return of hooliganism at, at big events that's been a bit shocking. We sort of thought that was that was over. Uh, but it really sort of started in, in the 80s, especially, or, or got big in the 80s in England and was sort of imported from England to Germany and, and around Europe then. Uh, and the ultras, uh, that's a sort of even more organized fan movement that sprung out of Italy uh, and came to Germany 
probably most seriously in, in the late 90s or, or early to mid 2000s. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, they sort of cleared out the hules that had made um, going to games pretty unenjoyable unless you liked getting beaten up or beating other people up. And their whole deal is colorful displays. They have these massive banners. They'll write, they'll light up their, their pyrotechnics. They'll, they'll sing all game, um, bang their drum, whatever. Um, so it's about creating an atmosphere. Uh, and especially when they started, they were largely left-leaning, but there are ultras groups uh, from basically every end of the political spectrum, even if most of them lean to the left. And hooligans, I think in a lot of people's minds are, especially in the German context, are are sort of Nazis or right-leaning, but there are also left-wing hooligan groups. And sometimes there's overlap between the two. So the same guys that'll do their ultra thing and paint their banners uh, and you know, sew them together and tell themselves that's the manliest thing they can do and not reflect at all on their, their views of masculinity or whatever, will then, after the game, beat up some Nazi fans or whatever. So, you know, good good for them. But uh, if you're into it and the people you're fighting actually want to fight you. but Yeah, yeah I mean, I know some friends of friends who are German and kind of have the the fighting thing going on. Uh, Hooligan adjacent. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to use the word flabbergasted in terms of like their behavior. I just do not understand at all. They like, they consensually fight sometimes, yeah. right? They're like, let's meet at this field after like the it seems game. so like, west side story like, when, exactly. I, when i learned about that i'm like what because like this is what you realize too how even though like the the marketing in the u.s is so of, of sports is so like you know four truck burger football blah, blah, you know like flying a b2 bomber over the game or whatever and it's just like yeah it's like so manly but like how actually like family friendly comparative comparatively u.s sports are mm. like it's not even like american football is not like there's a good at least at like seahawks games in seattle it's like probably 40 40 percent women in the stands mm. which like I, I feel like is typically not the case in a in a european football game like it's a much more kind of male like aggressive thing mm. and i didn't and, and yeah like the the fighting and then the ultras are like i remember when i first got here i was like why do people have Stickers that say like "Love Hertha," like "Fuck Nazis." I'm like, why do you need to like express that you're not a Nazi and you like the team? Like, yeah. you wouldn't be like, yeah, like I love the Seahawks, but I don't like Nazis. It would just be like, okay, that seems, GOP. <laughs> that seems like just totally different stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they they can't really be separated here, and it is kind of funny. I mean, they they call it the Twitter Hub site, the third half, uh, when okay. you beat people up mm. after the game. And <laughs> and because of policing, I made a short documentary on how MMA is used to recruit uh, into hooligan groups, especially far right hooligan groups. But the the sort of weird consensual aspect of it um, has only gotten stronger because of policing around it. It's a lot harder to just have fifty dudes in balaclavas show up at the away end and beat them up during a game. Uh, so then now you have to go to the woods. And at some yeah. point you could ask yourself, does this have anything to do with the team I support? What what does this have to do with anything? Right. But again, if that's how you get your rocks off, everyone agrees to it. I personally think it's pretty dumb, but I, I don't think it's this sort of moral, horrible thing, which a lot of people inherently do, which I obviously understand. I, mean, I guess it's convenient that both of the both of the Berlin stadiums are surrounded by large forested areas. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't, that's actually a, a good point. So I can't think of any fighting near either of those stadiums anytime recently. It definitely does happen. And there are also these weird networks that fans build where, you know, you support one team who has a friendship with another team. And suddenly you're beating up fans of a team, you know, that's not even in your division or whatever anymore. Well, yeah, that's like Hata has in the Zweite Liga has like KSC. Like, they're, like, yes. friends, right? Karlsruhe, and yeah. so, like, from the area where I was, people would, like, go to Berlin and, like, have, like, a whole... But I did want to bring up, um, before I forget, that mm-hmm. in one of my textbooks, like, one of my psychology textbooks, it lists, like, hooliganism as a societal ill. And it, like, goes into it in, like, a little bit of detail. And that's most of my background knowledge for <laughs> That's pretty fair. In my German uh, psychology. Yeah. Was textbook. it an older textbook or... It seemed like pretty recent and they okay. were talking about like violence in general and, mm. and the motivations for that. Um, yeah. So. I mean, it is, I think, fair that you've got this large demographic of disaffected young men who fall into this. Uh, and recently, more likely than not, they've fallen into these ultras groups and, and most of them are actively, you know, you need your love hair to hate Nazis sticker because... Uh, for years, up until fairly recently, clubs were reluctant to do anything that might scare away some of their fans. Mm. They didn't really want to engage with this. Um, and, and they'd done a lot of really great work. Um, and, and some of them are moderately apolitical. Maybe some of them lean to the right or whatever. Uh, but you, you have these groups of, you know, it's a young man's game. I was at a, a Babelsberg game there in the, the fourth tier, but they have a very politicized left wing fan contingent the other week and the buddy I went with said like what's with the obby ball vibes which is basically prom we felt like we were far too old for it essentially um but you you have these these young men that you know it can spill over into violence uh so you know maybe I'm, I'm no psychology textbook I don't know when you demark something as a societal ill but that's why I think politicizing these people and trying to get them to the left uh, or at the very least make sure they don't end up on the far right is an important project. Yeah, another reason at the start to answer Isaac's question of why leftists might care about this topic is it could successfully siphon away support for (laughs) some of the further right groups. For sure. And yeah, I want to talk more about the, the Bundesliga and the different teams and sort of regional regional rivalries. I guess we should just clarify now, um, in case people don't have like a sort of baseline familiarity. Hertha is the team from like the, the west of Berlin. They have like blue blue colors, if you recognize that. Uh, Union is the is the sort of smaller like underdog team that's now doing quite well. That's, uh, that's from the former east. That's mm-hmm. sort of the more like hipster cool team. We'll get more into that. But just so you know what we're talking about uh, when we say... When we, when we say those names. Um, but yeah, we've obviously been talking about, you know, masculinity and, and this sort of like disaffected young men. But of course, men are not the only people playing football. And this has been, you know, in, in the U.S., it seems like there's been actually a decent amount of progress on this. I mean, mm-hmm. I know like, you know, long, long time coming, but like having had, you know, Title IX, I think, you know, we were saying before we were, were recording that there's sort of a legacy of that and that has helped gender parity in some sports. There was a big controversy over um, the women not making uh, the same amount of money in the U.S. And the, the U.S. Soccer Federation recently said that they would be paid um, equally earlier this year. Mm-hmm. I think they had a very good case for that because, like, the U.S. men are usually not very good and the women are insanely good. And, like, they're all very much national celebrities in their own right. 
Yeah. You know, like everyone knows Megan Rapino or, or whoever. Mm. And I believe there hasn't been the same sort of discussion, or at least it hasn't like permeated at all. Like, to be honest, I don't think I could name, uh, I don't think I could name a woman um, on the, the German national team, if I'm being fair. Uh, but they've been extremely successful, I mm. think winning about eight out of the last 12 euros. And we looked this up and they would be paid 60,000 if they won. Uh, the men would get 400,000. Uh, so just like these huge, really, really glaring disparities. Yeah. What What's the politics of, of gender around football? Yeah, uh, in, good question. Germany? I mean, as uh, with, with the U.S., um, a lot has been moving quite quickly here in Germany and in Europe more broadly, I'd say, where we're just coming off uh, the women's Euros this summer, um, where they smashed a ton of attendance records, uh, and it was seen as a massive success in club football um, in the last year or two, both in Germany and in the Champions League, and, and basically in a, any major country, attendance records have also been smashed. There's, there's clearly more interest, um, and as you say, Germany... Uh, are the most successful women's team in European history and with two World Cups, one of the best teams in the world. And they, you know, I, I don't think you're probably the only person that couldn't couldn't name one of the players. I think maybe with this summer they got broader recognition, but it still doesn't really compete with the men at all. Um, and I think that contextualizes a similar but maybe less... Um, bristling debate around fair pay that's happening here as well. So the the U.S. women's national team had to sue the U.S. Soccer Federation, and it took years to finally decide that they would indeed get equal pay, which is uh, outside of, you know, a couple smaller um, football associations, a couple Scando ones, I believe, um, is pretty unprecedented. But even around uh the tournament this summer, um, there was a lot of debate about equal pay happening, and directly after the tournament, actually, uh, our our own resident short king, Olaf Schultz, stopped by the <laughs> DFB, the German Football Association, and demand that they introduce equal pay, uh, equal prize money at least, if not um, salaries. Uh, and Oliver Bierhoff, the head of the German FA, said, uh, yeah, we'll look into that, and uh, nothing has happened yet. But there's this debate, um, I think, Given the context, the, the German well, that's, that's women's... That's the only time, you know, an Ampel, a representative of the Ampel coalition has said, hey, uh, we might actually do this good progressive thing, and then doesn't seem like there's much happening. Yet. Yeah, you'd maybe want to actually enforce it in some way. But yeah, they, yeah. They, they do manage to have some interesting ideas and, and little follow-through, so I think it fits. But a lot of the German women players, they sort of phrase it as, look, we, we know we're not as popular, we know not as many people watch... We don't necessarily need equal pay. We want equal play is how they put it. And by that, they mean sort of the same conditions, the same support, the same professionalized staff um, that that the men get. So at least they have highly professionalized conditions. Um, and there's a bit of a push for like a minimum salary uh, in the first two divisions in the women's league, which doesn't yet exist. Most uh, women players in Germany outside of the biggest stars are studying or, or many of them have a second job or whatever. So it's it's moved a lot in the past couple of years, but they are they are pushing for things. And I think in part because of the U.S., this debate has come here a little bit um, and, and to other countries in Europe. And what about like the support? You said that they were smashing attendance records, mm -hmm. but I kind of have the instinct that they don't have ultras 
for the women's <laughs> for for the most part no it's no. just me and a drum screaming no one around me pretty depressing <laughs> <laughs> one man ultra group um for the most part no but i think that that genuinely appeals to a lot of people um because there is a much broader level of gender parity in the stands when women play it's a bit more family friendly um, I think if you're into, you know, men's European football and the ultras atmosphere, you might think, oh, this is a bit quieter or whatever, but it does pick up a lot when interesting things happen or whatever. So it's a totally different vibe. I think the issue there is more these attendances um, have broken records for really big games um, and, and they've gone up nominally for smaller games. But like these big tournaments have put on, you know, attention onto like the big names, the big teams, whatever. It's sort of more at the grassroots infrastructurally where they need more support and more people to come out. Speaking of kind of the the fan base in women's soccer, there is also kind of a bigger queer participation among the fans and also the players. Yeah, I mean, I think like my sort of only, one of my only sort of like personal connections or like the people in my circle who are really kind of invested in uh, soccer Mm -hmm. are like queer people who are invested in like sort of women's football. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was reading, uh, this isn't a Germany specific statistic, I think it's sort of for the whole sort of in the most recent women's Euros, but like 10% of athletes competing were like openly LGBTQ plus. Mm -hmm. And I think like it was only recently that like the first sort of major league men's soccer player came out as gay right Um, yeah and so yeah I I think this maybe just kind of ties into what you were saying about like the different culture and different kind Mm -hmm. of atmosphere and fan base around the the women's teams for sure yeah definitely I mean I think um, the number of out male players in major leagues or even lower leagues as far as I know is depressingly low and, and cannot possibly reflect reality um in the women's game um it's just sort of open i mean as far as i know uh it's never been much of a big deal or controversial i think it's sort of always been part of it even when the sport was niche Uh, and then therefore there had to be no big dramatic coming outs or whatever um so i think it's quite refreshing especially uh when you talk to players about it um so like i'm kind of sort of on the the women's football and German women's national team beat for Deutsche Welle. Mm -hmm. And in general, that is extremely refreshing uh, because you can get much more access than you ever could for the men. Um, You know, they'll actually talk to you. Possibly, you know, one of the silver lining aspects of you study or you have another job or you are forced to have other interests outside of just football and (laughs) Fortnite um, means they're often a bit more reflective and and you can talk about social issues. It's not the jocks. It's not not the jocks. They don't call you a dweeb and knock your recorder out of your hand. And they're much more willing to talk about, you know, something like parody and, and not just you know, their pay, but they can talk about broader social issues and the same with, you know, questions of being being queer in football and sports and what that means. And I, I find it quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I went to uh, a Germany-England friendly a few years ago at the Olympiastadion and then like, yeah, the like just sort of raw like masculinity and nationalism of it is like quite intense of just like, this ties in back what we were saying about the 2006 World Cup and the sort of the, the taboo of nationalism getting broken, mm-hmm. but just 70,000 people chanting, Deutschland, Deutsch. <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is a little tough, especially considering the history of that stadium. Yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah. That, that That's definitely good news, though, that the, the, the women's leagues are getting more 
more popular and there's maybe a, like an alternative to this like hyper sort of violent nationalistic other side of it. Definitely. I mean, I do think, especially if you don't speak German, um, if you show up to one of these games and it's like 40 to 70,000 dudes singing loudly in German can be a little, you know, a little disconcerting, I think. And uh, some clubs do this. And of course, technically, totally fine, makes sense. Uh, but after a victory, they will do like a couple claps and then yell Zieg, which means victory. <gasps> it literally means victory. I get it. But bro, find <laughs> another word, please, Jesus uh, H. Christ, of all the things to be chanting <laughs> in the woods. Um, so yeah, there are clearly elements there that are a little bit either unsavory or I feel like we should be reflective enough about this to know we could we could treat it a bit differently and and you're much less likely to encounter that in the women's game right and maybe to like segue us nicely into this next section where we're talking about sort of like club stuff teams. whatever teams <laughs> um league but clubs again, blah, blah. Like i know that uh for like people in berlin who are like interested in sort of an alternative to like the men's uh teams like the potsdam women's team is really really mm -hmm. good right this is all they know yeah, <laughs> but that's that's plenty to know. So Turbina Potsdam. Uh, so you know, if you if you're in Berlin, you like uh, German and East German history. They're called Turbina Turbine Potsdam. So you know they're an old East German club. Let's just name them after whatever part of a factory we were working on or whatever. <laughs> um, and for a long time, they were the best team uh, in Germany, which was also pretty interesting because in the men's game after the fall of the wall. Uh, similarly to the mass disinvestment that we saw uh, in the economy more broadly, you also saw that in football where all of the Eastern teams basically went bust and the best players were bought by rich Western clubs. Uh, but in the 90s and 2000s, Potsdam had the best team in the league. Um, they've been eclipsed in recent years by uh, Wolfsburg and, and Bayern or whatever, but they're still good. They draw well. They play in, again, if you're a fan of East German history, Karl Liebknecht Stadion. So come on, nice. <laughs> Carly, go support the big man um, and and watch Turbina Potsdam. But but they're kind of on our doorstep a little bit. It's a fun day out. Last thing before we get more into the Bundesliga, uh, you mm -hmm. mentioned the East Germans. Um, how was the how was the East German national team? They had some they had some success. Pretty solid. Um, not as big so not drawing on on as much as as west germany west germany won the 74 world cup as you said uh so east germany i think was competitive and as you know was pretty common in the eastern bloc pretty significant investment into sports as a means of sort of patriotism and, and sort of building out national identity also occurred here maybe not on the same extent as it did in you know russia or yugoslavia whatever um but a pretty pretty solid um, national team, but since then, part of this divestment, uh, it's pretty rare that anyone born in the former East will play for the German uh, national team now. And you said that those clubs or those teams got like their best players kind of skimmed off the top. Did they? But they still exist today, or like did some of them kind of disappear? Yeah, for the most part. Um, all of the big teams still exist today. Uh, so I guess any any Americans listening might not know, but in, in European football and, and I guess around the world, there's a system of promotion and relegation. So, you know, if you're in the bottom of your league, you go down the league 
below oh, right, you. Yeah. Um, so and and that can happen all the way until you're just a neighborhood team playing in, in you know a park or whatever. The fallen giants can fall pretty far. So most of them still exist. They're still relatively well supported, especially because uh, in the former East there are only a couple teams playing in the Bundesliga. Uh, so you have Union Berlin and you have. Uh, RB Leipzig, which don't count uh, because they have no history. Um, they they weren't a historic team. There are two historic teams in Leipzig, but uh, Red Bull, uh, in order to somehow link that to selling energy drinks, bought a team in Leipzig and essentially kind of started over or whatever. Um, so outside of that, if you're from Chemnitz okay. uh, or Cottbus or whatever, uh, the team in a relatively big city is now in the third or fourth division, uh, and they'll they'll still get pretty big crowds. But that's okay. also where you have your more unsavory uh, fan elements. Most I frequently. just always connect it to American baseball, thinking about like the Cape Cod League. Like when mm. you're like, <laughs> I mean, we should all we can't say anything bad about Red Bull because uh, Dietrich recently died. Dietrich Mateschitz, the co-founder of red bull he just passed away so we need to all pay our respects pour out your sugar freeze gang yeah <laughs> i hate red bull I, the, 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 it's, a, it's a very it's a very bad drink and they the the company supports very bad politics yeah he like ran a publishing house that published far-right shit he made my soccer team embarrassing to support uh and i think was especially from from german perspectives made German soccer worse. He wasn't really personally connected with teams, but most German soccer fans hate Red Bull because they bought into uh, a league that was was seen as less commercialized as sort of competitors. Um, yeah. So yeah, we wanted to talk a little bit more about the league level. You know, we're all here in Berlin recording together, which is very nice. We don't get to do that that much, um, but we're all here. And we should talk a little bit of, a little bit of local sports, huh? A lot of people this year have been really excited about the success of Union, the team in the former East in uh, in Köpenick, and they've you know now sort of surpassed Hertha um, in success level this year. And at the top of the league at the time of recording, they kind of have this like very small, tiny reputation, um, and they seem to be, have been overwhelmed a bit by their own success. There was actually a book that recently came out, uh, like Scheisse were going up. Um, and there's a Guardian article from the, the same author we'll, we'll link to. Um, Kit says, Holden. Kit Holden, that's yeah. it. Thank you. I didn't have it written down, but that's that, that That's, that's what I'm here for. Plug yeah. Kit stuff. That's my job. He says, By the time Union were promoted to the Bundesliga in 2019, the fans had long since expressed their disquiet. Two years earlier, when Union first challenged for promotion, they raised a banner on the terraces reading, Shit, we're going up. They were only half-joking. Success had never been part of Union's DNA, and there were genuine fears about whether they could maintain their identity as a fan-led community club in the top flight. What if too much money and success changed the club? What if they changed it for the worse? Like, what, what do you have to sort of say about this debate? Because the, the, the author of this piece, Kit Holden, as you mentioned, um, they, they sort of use it as like, a metaphor for Berlin's changes more broadly, you know, citing that um, in 2010 they only had 6,500 members and now they have 40,000. And so, you know, it used to be pretty, I think, you know, fairly straightforward to get a ticket if you were a member and now it's quite competitive. Mm. And they use it as this sort of metaphor of like Berlin was like the, you know, 
poor but sexy kind of like underdiscovered like cool but not that mainstream and now it's like getting richer and more popular which is like good for some people but a lot of people are sort of no, I'll stay out of here. Uh, you know, like they they want to keep the things the way they used to be, uh, which I have like mixed feelings about. As much as I don't like seeing the city get swamped with like tech money and yeah. a bunch of people that that don't seem, I don't know, don't seem like they're necessarily improving the the city that much. I find it a bit a bit weird to say like, oh no, we were here first. Like you can't come in, you can't be a fan of this, yeah. and this very like sort of incumbency bias attitude that you necessarily have more ownership over a thing just because you were there longer. So I'm, I, I can kind of see both sides of this. I'm curious, like uh, you're a fan of the club, like what are your thoughts about? Yeah, it? F- full disclosure, I am a member uh, and have been going um, since I moved here in 2014, um, and I I definitely think there is a tension there uh, and. Union kind of are on a bit of a razor's edge, and I would say uh, have done shockingly well outside of just the the success on the field, which I don't think anyone really expected of of kind of maintaining their vibe and uh, quote unquote values um, despite their success. I'd say almost to a bit of a fault. I'd say maybe the difference uh, between Union and the city of Berlin is it doesn't really feel like despite this sort of unexpected success. Union's getting gentrified or something like that. Um, although, you know, they do have to deal with a whole set of new challenges and suddenly have a bit of money and stuff. But they almost, to a fault, have tried to remain defiantly true to themselves, I think, uh, and haven't really reckoned with the fact that they've been in the Bundesliga for a couple seasons now. They're possibly going to play in the Champions League. So an example of that is... Uh, a couple of weeks ago from, from this recording, um, Union have a midfielder who plays for the Hungarian national team uh, when Vili Orban was uh, in uh, Berlin. I don't know actually why he was here besides showing up for a site online um, discussion. Reason uh, enough. Reason enough, I <laughs> guess. I d- I'm not sure if he had official business here, but he... What Again, do you mean? It's like so official. It's, that it's everybody very, reads site online. very important. We all read site online. I always hit the non-poor button because I hate that they call it that too. <laughs> I would never subscribe to something that's like site online poor. Oh, my bizzle. Actually, Berliner Zeitung, uh, oh. not site. So actually smaller, oh, less. Zeitung, but those are, that's a whole other um, dynamic. Yeah. New ownership and... Yeah, uh, so my bad. But anyway, he came here for a, a public event that didn't seem related to state business from my, you know, poorly informed perspective. But to tie it back to our discussion on Ozil, um, he stopped by uh, Union's ground to do a photo op and talk with uh, Schaefer, who is the Hungarian midfielder. And Schaefer, you know, he's a grown ass man if he wants to shake hands with uh, Orban and and do his thing on his free time, that's fair. There's absolutely no reason the club should expect you could film that in the stadium uh, and expect there's no backlash. And their response to a bunch of small scandals that they often sort of create themselves uh, by trying to be defiant and small and not always go with the program is to be a bit bewildered, I find. I mean, I love the club. They've, They've really maintained their feeling, but I think there are some things where professionalizing your your institutions would probably be good for everyone involved uh and they they have this weird thing and i'll say this as someone who is dearly invested in the club a lot of people from afar think okay because you're a bit alternative that means you're like saint Pauli, who are famous for being these sort of left wing 
you know, fan-led club. That at Union is not the case at all. Um, and they sort of style themselves as being apolitical. But in my experience, when someone says they're apolitical, uh, they're often on the right <laughs> a little bit, uh, which is not to say that Union have a right-wing fan base, but they are in Köpenick. Uh, and there have been some tensions, I think, on the terraces that have played out a bit. Um, so again, I don't think it's the exact, oh, we have issues with gentrification or whatever. But even a couple nights ago, now it's extremely difficult to get a ticket. There are almost twice as many members as there are seats in the stadium. So you always have to go through a lottery and stuff. And I was actually with Kit and, and a couple other English native speakers at the ground. It was very full. The atmosphere was pretty bad. The dudes behind us were like, why is it so quiet? It must be all the tourists around. Very clear what he meant by tourists, although we're all literal members. Kit was singing louder than any of them, uh, but we're chatting a little bit in English on the side. You can tell there's a bit of resentment. And some people are pumped to meet um, random English or American dudes that, you know, have fallen in love for their club and some clearly are a little uncomfortable with it. St. Pauli being the Hamburg. Yeah. Yep. A quick follow-up to that. I mean, it, Kit in this, uh, in this piece uses the sort of metaphor um, of like the Berlin clubs, uh, you know, having like strict door policies to try to keep the vibe the same, which I can see on one hand, it sounds a bit more like a like an old like Kneipe though, where like you know mm-hmm. you'll you'll like you can you can get in there right if you remember like they don't necessarily have a door policy, but you might get some mean stares from people and like and it's going to be a mix of like old school Berlin people and like younger hipsters and there's this like kind of constant tension over you know the pool table and who's going there and (laughs) what language is being spoken and maybe you can like talk to them in German but you're going to talk to your friends in English and it's like just very like you gotta schmooze yeah it's just it's like it's like it's like cool and the you know the beer's cheap and it has a great vibe and you want to be there but there's just a slight background of tension yeah for sure and and yeah you don't know if you'll get a a turn at the darts or not um (laughs) and we'll see what happens but also to be clear there's often a bit of tension. Often there are lovely interactions with people um, who are incredibly uh, often confused that an American uh, would like soccer in the first place, uh, but are very pleased that they're they're there at the club. And I think that probably would happen in most German grounds, um, where you know there's a scene called ground hopping, uh, where you know you try to see as many stadiums as possible, go to as many games around the world as possible. Uh, and I also understand it's pretty annoying if. Uh, it's hard to get tickets and it's some guy who flew over from England to tick a box to go to this one stadium or mm-hmm. whatever. That can be a bit bit weird. Um, and I'm sure uh, this tension exists in a lot of a lot of German grounds. Um, but I think with Union, that coupled with the sort of explosive growth, fans not really knowing how to feel about it. On one hand, we all said, and, and most fans of Union continue to say, ah, it doesn't, we're just happy to be here. We don't care what happens. We never expected to make it to the Bundesliga. We are now first, mm-hmm. as you said, as of this recording. And a lot of people will be a little upset if, if we don't actually find the success we never expected. There's part of you that can't help but feel like, ah, we're close. We might as well really try and make something of this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, on, on that note, like wh- where are we at right now in terms of the season? And like, do you have, I know you said at the beginning that you don't really want to make like predictions about mm-hmm. things, but like, do you feel like they can hang on to the top spot? Yeah, this is, is this like just an extended fluke or is this like actually <laughs> something that like, like you think has a chance of, of persisting? Because I've seen some people say, oh, this can't last forever, but it's fun, you know, mm-hmm. let's just enjoy it. 
which maybe is like a bit of like self-defense mechanism of like not wanting to get too excited but i'm just curious yeah if you have yeah yeah definitely uh as someone who who bullied themselves a lot in high school to make sure no one else could there's a bit of you know (laughs) self-deprecating self-defense in there i think a little bit but i also think it is a little unrealistic that union actually win the league and that's part of the problem with the bundesliga so uh, if anyone besides Bayern wins, it would be a shock. Bayern have won the last 10 seasons. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, as of our record, uh, they're only, I think, one point behind Union. So I think Union very likely will finish in the top four uh, and therefore play in the Champions League. That would be historic and amazing. And no one ever would have expected it because every season they sell their best players and all the fans think, okay, this can't continue. They sign some scrub you've never heard of and suddenly he scores 10 goals and and everything's rosy or whatever. Uh, But I I think the issue is you just know Bayern are almost never going to like drop points or or mess up. So unless they're in some kind of deep-rooted crisis, no one besides them are going to win the league. And that's part of the broader issues. Hmm. I'm a little... So you're saying that Union is maybe not explicitly left wing, but in the redacted district that I live over that way, Uh I see a lot of like graffiti that's like anti-capitalist, like pro-union, like like that like exact combination. Yeah. So I had always associated them like very explicitly. But you also, well, I don't know if this is disclosing too much about where you're from, but (laughs) uh, I don't know why you care, but... <laughs> also, you live in an area where there was a direct mandate for a D-Link person, right? Yes. Oh, boy. That really knows it down. <laughs> <laughs> Easy fans are going to know where to look immediately. Um, yeah, I mean, so there, I, I, I'm glad that you asked because I don't want what I say to be misconstrued. Um, a lot of fan bases have actively left or right ultras groups and, and fan bases more generally. Union, um, I think, are a bit more open. And that means there are plenty of people that consider themselves on the left, of the left, whatever, that are amongst their fans. I'm obviously one of them. Uh, But there are also, I think, some right-leaning elements in their fan base. Um, And the club has gotten a bit better about, you know, talking about this, trying to get rid of it. Um, But I think that's also part of the legacy of, of most of these teams in the former East. They especially couldn't be picky about who was supporting them when they had next to no money uh, and you know all of their revenue came uh, from from match going fans so again I don't mean to say that Union are filled with a bunch of Nazis or something like that I think that uh, like any club they're broadly representative of the community that they represent and that's Kopenick uh, plus a lot of newcomers basically okay. uh, so you have a lot of people in their active fan base who have done work to Uh, Make sure you can't openly have right-wing insignia or right-wing fans at the game. Um, But again, I think some people fall through the cracks. Like an ongoing back and forth, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, yeah, as you you go east, it's sort of, it it turns spottier of like pink and and light blue or the, in terms of, you know, what you, like Kobenik being pretty far east. Lincoln being pink. Linka being the pink, yeah. being the pink party, and mm. you know when when you see like the the voting map or whatever, yeah, yeah, and then AFD being blue, as you get get out there a bit. So I guess that makes sense. But if if you only stay in the sort of within the ring districts of Berlin where a lot of young people live, I think it's very easy to get the idea that like Union is like the like leftist club. Exactly. Like if you're in like Neukölln or something, yeah. like it, it seems 
it, it seems very like yeah this is like the you know communist or like leftist club mm-hmm. to be a fan of yeah for sure and that's what i'm a little skeptical of and i think union and herta are somewhat similar in that aspect where i would say neither of their fan bases broadly fall too far in either direction politically uh more that they're they they consider themselves apolitical which is code for their sort of ongoing pushes back and forth um and that's also a sort of internal debate you know i've seen stuff at games that are quite unsavory and i'd rather show up at the next game and put up my little schöner eisen ohne nazis or whatever love union hate nazis than say i will cede the club to nazis um but i understand people who you know, and, and I've heard also plenty of similar things at Herita or whatever, who would say, nah, fuck that. I'm, I'm not going anymore. But again, um, that's Germany in 2022. Yes, it certainly is. Yeah, to dive into the league kind of more broadly, right? Like, I, I, find, it, I find it very interesting because, as with so many things in Germany, it's sort of held out to be the like the kinder, gentler, less commercialized version of something, right? Like, so as big as the Bundesliga is, I believe the most attended sports league in the world in terms of live uh, attendees. Definitely soccer. I don't know how like the NFL stacks up because their stadiums are so big, but they also have so few games. But for soccer, yes. You know, it's. I guess you could hold like hold it up as a contrast to the uh, the very like hyper commercialized um, English Premier League, right? Uh, with the the fan ownerships of teams, and it sort of praised as like, you know, a little bit more, I guess, egalitarian, or yeah, just not as like the the way that the English teams are just so clearly like seem so in line with like the 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 British form of capitalism of like super internationalized, you know, owned by like. You know, Russian oligarchs or like uh, you know golf oil money or you know what what have you just American seem, billionaire yeah stars. exactly just like just just owned by all the world's like most sordid wealth mm-hmm. um, and you know uh, yeah the German system it's a little like cozier and more local and stuff and it it's very much the way that sort of German capitalism more broadly I think is represented in in the anglophone media yeah but but you write you wrote a piece in Jacobin that we'll link to uh, that the reality is a little more complex you say. As the football world contemplates potential solutions, referring to the football world more broadly, this was right after the they tried to do the 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 Super League, right, which was like got shot down because it was just a little bit too disgustingly yeah. capitalist, yeah, um, or sort of like not even like competition capitalist, just like monopoly, yeah, yeah, truly, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, as the football world contemplates potential solutions, a wave of envious gazes has been cast toward Germany which is frequently seen as an outlier for its more democratic fan ownership model. Yet, what those pining for Germany's fan-owned footy often miss is that having, we were talking about whether to use British or American terms, I see you snuck in a little, uh, <laughs> little British term there, <laughs> is it often miss is that having the right club ownership structures doesn't automatically create a progressive sporting paradise. Continuing, say uh, Germany's full raucous stadiums are typically ascribed to the country's fan ownership mechanism called the 50 plus one rule. The rule decrees that at least 50% plus one share of clubs must be owned by the members and the fans. This means that clubs are structurally beholden to their supporters, unlike most teams in Europe's biggest leagues. Changes at the club and league level that fans don't approve of are inherently difficult to pass. 
but you still have these sort of like atrocities like uh, like RB Leipzig, which I was interested to know um, actually doesn't technically stand for Red Bull, mm-hmm. uh, as, as you write. So, yeah, I mean, and again, I, I think this is such an interesting case because it's like you can really see a parallel with how people talk about um, worker representation on boards of German companies. And, you know, the sort of people from the Anglo capitalist world will say, oh, that's so that's so great. Like Germany's more egalitarian, like the they have the Betriebsrat. Uh, you know, and so on. Like it's it, it has to be more like participatory. But then eh, there's there's a lot of examples where you know there's a ton of inequality. There's a ton of just like you know pure greed in the mm. in the Bundesliga. You also you also cite um, the founder of SAP Dietmar Hopp uh, owning ninety six percent of the Hoffenheim club. So there's there's several examples of this not being some kind of nice you know cozy uh, communitarian kind of vibe. So yeah. could you talk more about the yeah, like the, I guess the nitty gritty business of, of the Bundesliga. Sure. I mean, also to be totally clear, I do think that uh, the fan ownership model of the Bundesliga is a good thing. Probably the biggest issue uh, for me with the 50 plus one rule, which means, as you said, um, you know, clubs need to be owned by their members, uh, at least 50 percent in, in one share. Uh, that's definitely a good thing and has structurally benefited fans um, within the league. Uh, I just think, one, it has too many uh, loopholes. So we talk about uh, RB Leipzig. They're owned by Red Bull, um, and they have about 20 members who all work for Red Bull. Oh so God. it's hard to say that they fit within this model. They're stacked with Membership you. <laughs> is insanely expensive. That's how they kind of limit that. Um, or you have, uh, you mentioned Hop, uh, so Dietmar Hop. Um, who, you know, because he pumped a lot of money over a couple decades into uh, Hoffenheim, he was seen as sort of a good benefactor and therefore will write an exemption that allows him to, to basically out and out own this team or, or Wolfsburg or whatever. They're owned by VW. If you want to talk about works councils and, and soccer, uh, VW literally owns a soccer team or at least their their workers, whatever. There's the connection. But, but either way, um, I think... One, that's not quite enough. And, and as you mentioned about the sort of, you know, capital labor compromise in, in the German economy more broadly, um, it's it's often looked at kind of enviously. But I think in, in the Bundesliga and in German football, it works really well, not because of its structures, but because as we've been talking about, fans see it as a mode of democratic participation. Um, and that's partly because they can afford to go to games and games are at times that are easy for them to get to, whatever. Uh, but they feel like they're part of this, and and that's also why I I you know have an appeal to soccer in the first place. You feel like you're really part of something, and here it's actually true. Uh, you get the feeling that clubs are a little bit afraid of, you know, upsetting these masses of of twenty to forty thousand, uh, you know, angry young men or whatever we talk <laughs> about. And that I think does at least just as much to keep them in check as as the rules do. Uh, and just as, you know, Verdi uh, might occasionally sign a deal that uh, maybe benefits their members but isn't good for the entire working class, whatever, you have the same sort of long-term institutional rot that's come into the 50 plus one system because of its loopholes, because it's now sort of deeply entrenched. So again, I think it's a good thing. Uh, I think it, it maybe needs to be tightened up and how it can actually enforce its rules. Um but I think that alone isn't somehow going to magically, you know, solve all of our issues with soccer. Yeah, again, seems very, 
very similar to the way sometimes people on the sort of like center left in Britain or the U.S. will be like, well, we just need to copy that, you know, yeah, the the worker representation model and then everything will fix itself. It's like, mm -hmm. have you been to Germany? Do you know what you're talking about? Probably not. Probably <laughs> not, yeah. Those are the main points that that I wanted to cover. No, this is the most interested I've been in football ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I have like, <laughs> I feel like I have more questions, but that's probably good for... We should, go, we should go. We should. We should go gentrify a, a union game. Spaß beim Ausflug nach. Yeah, we have to. That's all talking. That's all talking German, though, so we don't get any uh, any sketchy glances. I would say uh, Berlin has a lot of lovely smaller clubs that are. Yeah, that's often... actually what I wanted to ask you. I was like, if do you have any like niche like like bottom tier yeah. clubs that you recommend going to? Yeah. Uh, I uh, definitely have too much time on my hands and uh, enjoy being one of a couple hundred interested uh, spectators. So sadly, I could rattle off a, a far too long list. I think it depends a little bit on what exactly uh, your, your kink is. So if you want hardcore lefty vibes, uh, then I think Babelsberg, who also play in Potsdam uh, in the fourth division, is a good shout. It's a bit raucous. They have their ultras. Um, but you know their their banners are literally of Karl Liebknecht. Um, if you want uh, something that's good football, uh, that funny. It, <laughs> they they toss their opposing fans in the Landwehr. <laughs> oh God! Do they also play? They get tossed themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Do they also play in the Liebknecht? Yes, exactly. They play in the same ground. If you want something that's you know the some of the best women's football in the world, um, but a bit more family friendly, quieter go to the same stadium. You could see Turbino Potsdam. Uh, Tennis Borussia, um, also in the fourth division. They're left-leaning, uh, but they have a very different vibe. There are no ultras. They kind of crack jokes, are a little self-aware. They don't take themselves so seriously. That's a lot of fun. Uh, and I think finally, Turkimspor uh, Berlin. Uh, they're a Turkish team, one of Germany's uh, and Berlin's many immigrant clubs that was founded by an immigrant community. Uh, they used to be the biggest immigrant team uh, in the country um, a couple decades ago. Um, and they've is that got the a lot of history. Uh, right around there? Katzbachstadion is by Gneisenauerstrasse. Okay, different one. Um, different but they're, they're all over it's the place. Berlin's a, a football black hole. No one I really... literally see one across the street. Yeah, That's we, where we're going. <laughs> like yeah. a... You could throw, I couldn't because I have no upper body strength, but a strong person <laughs> could throw a rock and hit the stadium uh, just outside where we're recording. So you can't walk too far without bumping into some historic old club that probably needs your money more than Hertha or mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, and like they probably all have good bratwurst or whatever you eat. What do you eat? Yeah, wait, what do you eat at? <laughs> I mean... Definitely got to have the bratwurst, got to have the beer. Again, a nice thing about it. Tickets aren't too expensive. Beers and food, pretty affordable. I mean, obviously, if you have a family of four or whatever, I'm sure it's tough, but it's in, doable. I was in L.A. for work recently and went to a Dodgers game. Eighteen ninety nine for a beer. Do they, like, at least kiss you in the mouth with it or <laughs> something? They give, you, they give you a commemorative uh, plastic playoff cup you can Ooh. take. Oh, home. my. Okay. <laughs> All right. Please tell me you did not bring that. Germany. <laughs> I don't think I brought it to okay. Germany. I don't know. I that that was really really atrocious though. And they like, I haven't been to a, a an English game, but I heard you like can't bring beers into the stands there in those games. Like you can have it like beforehand, but you can't bring it in there. Which like in the bleachers. Yeah, like yeah. you can't just be sipping on a beer when you're sitting there. Yeah, um, because you just I guess you just can't trust 
English. I don't know. One of my it. favorite accounts on Twitter that I refuse to follow, but I'm always like kind of happy when it comes up in my feed is the like footy like scran. Yes. When they, when they like show or the spinoff Mensa scran. Pretty. Which pretty is depressing. just yeah. like a. <laughs> yeah. They they post photos. <laughs> what, of, like what country is it? Is it centralized in? I think they're English, but they they post stuff from everywhere. Okay. Kind of. okay. Well, yeah. Mensa Scrans obviously well, German. Yeah. No, I know but, that. Okay. I know <laughs> that. <laughs> but no, they post they post from everywhere, and people and they put the price. Mm-hmm. That's like the key point, like oh, yeah. in yeah. in the currency of where the thing was bought and sold. And so then the comments are like, "Are you kidding me? Like this much?" <laughs> so I feel like you could maybe fit in. Yeah, if you put your twenty dollar beer on there. You would be a viral king. Yeah, the footy strand okay. community, their heads would for explode. all the wrong reasons. They would just be like, "You're an absolute fool. What are you doing?" But yeah. it's like, but it's like they just have you like so bad because it's like, You're what are you gonna do? There, Go to a baseball yeah. game and not have a beer? Like, They're it's, seven hours long. Or yeah. one hour long, but whatever. Until someone gets that snitch, you're there. So you've gotta <laughs> you've gotta stick it in. Might as well have some beers. Yeah, yeah. The German like. Just generally something, you know, we have like a complaining about Germany podcast. Mm. One of the best things about it is like the price gouging on beer is extremely limited. Yeah. Like even an airport yeah. beer or it's like a sports game beer or like yeah. wherever. Like they, they might raise well, it by like 20%, but America will raise it by like 300%. Yeah. Friend of the pod, um, Tom again, <laughs> he tweeted that it's the only thing like holding the German like social fabric together is the price of beer being so low as the dinner price increases obviously that beer being so that low will the only be thing a that is der yeah. is the fact that a donut now costs six euros it's pretty wild that's like the new standard well he was tweeting like it was, he bought one for seven in like Rudo well just <laughs> at that is. point you're kind of just like going to the wrong places okay. like I passed a number on my way here that were still five which is like still expensive but yeah it's not cool. seven. But the yeah. fact that you're watching out, right? Like you're keeping watch, <laughs> you're clocking the different price points. Well, yeah, check out check out a football match. Go to one of those ones that Dave listed. This all, that all sounds very fun. Actually, I've only been to that that uh, international friendly here, but I want to go to some of the the weird little club games. It sounds fun. Yeah, hit me up. Let's go. Yeah, Come let's up. do it. Yeah, that was great. Thanks, Dave, for joining. Thanks for having me. Any uh, any any plugs? Any where can people find you? Anything you've published recently what's uh <laughs> what's going on, what's going on? <laughs> yeah so you can find me on twitter at branick uh b-r-a-n-u-c-k uh and i'll post you know most of my work there um oh, that's a sick handle to just have your last name it's not a common name so yeah, thanks that's... great 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 grandpa or whoever should be thanked for that i don't know or whoever at ellis island mistranscribed yeah. it or whatever. <laughs> somebody <laughs> definitely messed something up yeah. thanks clerk uh, yeah <laughs> back in the day um, and if you go to DW Kickoff on YouTube, um, that's where you'll find some of my soccer documentaries. Uh, I'm not on all of them, but you know, if you want to yell at me for saying soccer instead of football, uh, or be really mean, uh, every go time for you it. say footy, it cancels it out. So it's like, <laughs> like you know, yeah, like I think it's neutral. Like, it evens itself out. I yeah, think. balanced yeah. journalism. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Unbiased reporting over here. Exactly. Bit for yeah. everyone. Everyone cool. is furious at all the time, so it works. Yeah, it's good. Well, we need another another source of violence in the sport. It's mm-hmm. like you said. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll of course link to all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, Dave, that was that was really great. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed it. We say choose at the end. Do you want to say choose? I can't say chow. I have to say choose. <gasps> no, you can say whatever. You want.
I'll say cheese. 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 Cheese.